1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Hello and welcome to this. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, this is the Rugby Dungeon. I'm JB. And today I am joined by Blair Cowan. Blair, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: It's okay, mate. It's okay. What What have you been up to today?
1: Uh, just the, the usual second uh, day of training. Uh-huh. Uh, then back home and change some diapers and try and get a little one down. <laughs> that's as rock and roll as I'm getting at the moment.
0: Oh, mate, tell me about it. Um, how old is yours?
1: Uh, two months. is my first. Oh
0: wow. Okay, yeah. So yeah. that's that's so that's really serious then.
1: Yeah, yeah. Whole whole new um lifestyle really in the last two months and um sort of shooting from the hip with the majority of it, especially with lockdown and parents not being able to come around, but. Loving every minute of it. Are
0: your parents in in London then?
1: No, they're in New Zealand, but they were they would have always come over, um, especially for of course the first yeah. few months, hundred percent. But but New Zealand's so strict on um, on coming back into the country. There's just there's just no possible way it was happening. So the same with Rachel's parents; they're, they're back home as well. So um, not ideal situation, but we're just wrong with the punches as is everyone and cracking on as. Yeah. Pretty, pretty eye-opening, really. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, I just wrestled to bed a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and then I went for a quick kettlebell workout, and then I'm here. I've got to maximise every second of time that I possibly can. I
1: was wondering why you're still rocking the, uh, the wife beat here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in like
0: mid-March. It's good luck. Yeah. Uh, so you guys uh, have got Bath on the weekend. Uh, what, what kind of fixture is it? Is that um, is that for you? Because obviously there's a bit of a rivalry there, as they've got most of your old players.
1: Yeah, considering that um they're so far away from London, it has developed into a bit of a um a rivalry or sort of a clash and um I think it's just yeah, like you say, it has developed just through a lot of our academy um sort of being snapped up there once they've progressed and and a lot of those boys uh Regulars and international set up, but mm. um, they they seem to enjoy taking the cream of our crop and um, yeah, like it's, it's definitely not penciled in as that sort of that rivalry match, but it, it, this seems to be a centre there around the club these days.
0: Tell me this: Were you not linked very heavily with Bath once? I, I thought you nearly signed there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the rumour mill is strong and. um uh, I remember it was—I can't remember—it was that our first relegation or second relegation, and that rumor started flying around Twitter. There's no substance to it whatsoever. Um, hadn't been spoken to Bath, and um, and I remember it was in the rugby paper at one stage saying that it was basically signed and sealed, and um, and I remember getting someone tagging me on Twitter one of the supporters <laughs> um, saying, "Does anyone want to buy my?" Blair Cowan jersey that I bought in an auction. Um, oh wow! I was leaving us, and I know. I was like, "Oh wow, yeah!" Although like, this is how fast it spread. Absolutely no substance to it whatsoever, and I was obviously stayed here. But mm. um, yeah, that's a classic case of the rumor mill.
0: But of course, the real truth of that story was you were too busy thinking about going on loan to win a European Cup.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, well, that, that that literally happened in a day. Never heard anything of it, and then in 24 hours, I was. Up in Saracens,
0: yeah. Well, um, what 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 was that story? What What's your link to Saracens? Did you know someone there before before the whole thing came about?
1: It's kind of a long, um, complicated story, but it's, I'll, I'll wrap it up fairly short. I was playing for London Irish and starting most weeks, and my granddad fell ill, and it was it was the coach Brendan Venter at the time. Yeah, and obviously Brendan Venter's heavily. He, he was sort of the DOR. Well, Kendo was the DOR, but Brendan Venter was overseeing the whole operation. Um, and I mean, I, I really like Brendan Venter, but he's got a very um, old school sort of style, like you know, and, and yeah. what says so sort of goes sort of thing. So, um, I asked the club my grand will, and um, I asked the club if I could go home and, and say my goodbyes, and they were nice enough to give me sort of ten days. Um, And at the time, we were quite heavily stacked with sevens. Mm. Um, We had um, Connor Gilson, uh, Jake Schatz, um, um, Noggers, uh, Max, uh, Northcote Green. Um, And then we had a couple of like six sevens and and eight sevens. And then obviously myself. And I went to New Zealand and I come back and, um, you know, I was in the gym. I remember I was with Jimmy Marshall. We were in the gym and. Brennan Venta asked if I could come outside, and, and to be fair, Gill's and Shetzi and Max had played well while I was gone. Yeah, and and I knew I wouldn't be in, wouldn't walk straight in the mix from from being away, but um, yeah, BV pulled me out. Brenda Venta pulled me out, and he goes, um, I thought he was going to say, "Look, you're not going to play this weekend," but he, he said, "Oh, look, you know these boys have played really well, and." Um, you know, you're probably about third or fourth string at the moment, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't know it was that bad. How long was I gone for? You know, I thought it was ten days." Um, but he goes, um, "But we want you to get game time. So, how do you feel about going to Saracens?" And I was like,
0: "What a bizarre conversation!"
1: Yeah, this is, and I'm like, I'm like two days still jet lagged and stuff from New Zealand, and I um, I, sh- I keep shaking my head. I was like, huh? Did I hear that correctly? And he was like, yeah, yeah. Look, he said this is a really unique situation. Obviously, you know, I know Mark will call quite well. They need a player of your caliber. Um, It'll be strictly on a we say when you can come back basis. But, you know, it's ideal for everyone. Uh, Obviously, the club might have got a bit of money um, for it. And I would have got some game time. But we were in relegation battle at this period, you know, like, and I was, uh, was I involved with Scott on that stage? I can't remember, but you know, it's supposed to, um, you know, been at the club a long time and, and just seemed to be leaving when times were tough on the relegation battle. I said, I, I don't feel real comfortable about this. Oh
0: God, yeah, I've um, not even thought about that.
1: Yeah, I, I was just like, um, you know, it's quite a tough one because I don't want the boys to think I'm jumping ship here. Mm. Um, he goes, no, 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 no. You go, it's in the best interest for both the club, yourself, uh, and the boys, give you some game time. And um, at any stage, we want you back, we bring you back. So, you know, at that point, I was like, okay. Um, and to be fair, I, I did look at it as a, I'd been at the club for five or six years by this time. And I thought this is a great um, sort of just personal development and, and go and experience some, a successful European winning club um, and, and go experience that and maybe bring something back. But that was the sort of the short end of it. Um, and it was a pretty wild ride when I went up there as well.
0: That's incredible. Now, you're obviously a London Irish guy. You've been there for a long time. So there's no doubting how much you must like the club to be there for that long. But what was the contrast like from going from a relegation battler to a European Cup likely? Well, eventually a European Cup winner.
1: Yeah. It, was, it was interesting. It was awesome. And they were really welcoming. And I learned a lot. And they were all great blokes up there. I mean... I think if you had to go to any team, even if they're your rival team, or whatever, I'm, I'm sure you go there and you realise they're actually a great bunch of guys. And mm. certainly my experience of Saracens, and um, I don't know what to expect really, but then I learned quite fast what they've developed there. Took time and it took um, patience and structure and, and obviously financial um, comfort of, with with um, their owners. And mm. but it's definitely it's not happened overnight and you could see that from going there. And that gave me sort of, that inspired me a bit when I came, come back to Irish, it's like, okay, I've got an idea. It does take a period. And, and it's all about keeping the same group of boys, especially the academy yes. and developing that culture and making sure that it's solid and that you've got the foundations because as you've seen, there's teams that do well one year and if the foundations aren't there. I mean, this is not I have no idea about the Newcastle um, sort of environment, but one year they're in the premiership semifinals and then they get relegated the following year. So it's really, it's it's a slow process of developing a team and a, like a, an environment that's going to have longevity to get to that success. And yeah. I've seen that at the club, I'd seen what they had built in the way that I literally got there. Within one week, I could do... I knew their plays. I knew how they played. I I knew what they were looking for. I knew where to be because everyone was so in tune. That was very easy for me to see
0: Uh, see. see what
1: was going on. So it was really interesting. It was really awesome. It was was really good to see the culture side. And uh, I really enjoyed Mark McCaw. I really um, got on really well with um, Alex as well. Um, Mm. And and to see him go to – Sale, I think he's going to do great things up there as well.
0: Hopefully, but I think you're absolutely right when you say it takes time because you know, obviously the whole Eddie Jones thing is in the news at the moment and it sounds like he might be under pressure. He might not be under pressure. No no one really knows. But I guess one of the one of the people who'll be considered for that role if it ever comes available in England will be one of the Saracens lads, whether it be Mark McCall or Alex Sanderson or Borthwick or you know, whoever it is. And I think you're right in what you say. It takes time, and because it takes time, I do wonder if there'll be the right individuals to do it. Because if it takes time at international level, it might be quite a tricky appointment. That because I just think the club game is so much different from the international game.
1: I think, I think international is it's a whole different ball game. Mm. I think there is going to be a period, um, but every co- coach, as Eddie did, as majority of coaches that come in. Um, normally when either an international side or a club is um, say struggling, a, co- a coach has this thing we call the shelf life you know, and yeah. they come in and have this impact and it'll be either the fear of the new coach, it'll at least it'll be the shake up, you know, so when they arrive, everyone just all of a sudden starts performing a bit better, being training better because this coach is going to bring this uncertainty and you, and you yourself are uncertain of your future because whether he likes you or not, so you, you've got to perform, you've got to um, you've, you've got to sort of please him in, in a certain way and, and get a feel for him without sort of messing up. And yeah. I think Eddie certainly had that. Everyone had that fear factor when he turned up but whether that shelf life's coming to an end, which the results seems to show, you know uh, sort of a Rob Baxter or a Mark McCall yeah. if, they, if you could get a bit of a, a, a longer shelf life out, out of the international scene and, and Maybe bring blood in some new, fresh players. Are they going to have longer futures in the national scene? I mean, that, that's also exciting. And it'll be interesting to see what path or how they would go about that. Yeah,
0: that, that's an interesting point. How do you deal with a new coach? Because in London Irish alone, I'm just thinking now, Tom Coventry, Nick Kennedy, Declan Kidney. Um, you must have had a few others on on, on top of that as well. How 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 do you deal deal with new coaches as a player and as a senior player now? Because I, I guess it's down to you to impress them or make an impression or something.
1: It's probably a bit different for me now, um, as I'm in my twilight years. I'd say um, I would, you know, I probably can speak to them more on a um, a level. You know, I probably have less to worry about as far as my future because, you know, I got two three years left of, of the best and. Um, and I, I'm confident in knowing the game and, and knowing myself, but as a youngster, for sure, when you've got a new coach or you turn up to a new environment and um, trying to put your foot forward, you know, there's always that bit of fear, and um, and sometimes that can be a, a bad thing in performance. Sometimes it can be a good thing in performance, depending on how how you thrive in those moments. But every coach is different as well. Some coaches make it uh, easier. Some coaches make it harder um depending on their style. Um, whether the old school yeah sort of hard dictatorship kind of coaches or if they're the, the really open, wanna develop you as a player sort of person, you know. Um I've I've never had like a coach I didn't like as a person that might disagree with certain things, but I think they all mean mean well. Um and it's just I suppose it's just trying to find out what they want from you. Yeah. What do you want from me on the field and I'll do my best to sort of supply that. Because at the end of the day, you've got to, you do sort of have to conform to, to what they want as it's going to be the new team sort of way they're playing. Or, and um, they can also have an effect on yourself individually because it might be so far from, you know, what you bring.
0: Yeah. Now, um, just on you know how teams uh, interact with coaches and actually how teams interact with each other as, as well. Um, how, how old are you now, Blair? 30, 34. Okay, <laughs> so I mean you'll be well aware that uh, you go from being sort of a senior player to ver- to quite old in rugby pretty pre- pretty quickly, and before you know it, you're like the like like the oldest in the changing room. But London yeah. Irish is a little bit different because you seem to have assembled a load of guys who are in their 30s and a little bit more. Uh, well, they've got a lot of rugby un- underneath their belts. How is that for you? Because you could have been in a change room which is just full of young kids, but actually you're in a change room full of old, um, old charges and ultra and ultra professional guys.
1: I mean, the, the game has progressed certainly. Um, you know, these guys who are sort of in the older ages, uh, you still have to. Back in the day, you you could probably just turn up to Saturday. You know, you could probably eat what you wanted, but the old guys knew their role. Knew how to sort of get through in 80 minutes and crack on, and then they just manage themselves during the week. And you sort of roll the rope, you know, you, you roll the roost when it comes to that. Yeah. But these days, you know, these guys are looking after their bodies fairly well. Like there's a few battered guys and they, just, they they carry a few knocks and bruises, but they're, they're so you're in such a professional area. Like, oh, I can honestly say, I've this is the best I've ever felt in probably the last five years. Um, and that's just from knowing my body. And, and it simply doesn't. I think, I think their balance as well with old boys and young boys and then having those guys in the middle is key.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and, and I suppose the last two seasons for myself Percy, I know my role is, okay, I'm probably going to finish my rugby at London Irish. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal now is to, i got my personal goals, still want to perform, still want to play the best I can. But long term, I want to leave this club as best I can and develop yeah. these um, academy boys who are sort of breaking through and, and making them feel at home and sort of a blank canvas for their future at the club and, and you know, go on to bigger, better things with the club as well.
0: Does it give the team a different uh, social feel? Because obviously they're all a bit older, they've all got a bit more money, they're all probably married with kids, that kind of thing.
1: Um, I think COVID itself sort of definitely well, has yeah, of taken its toll on the social environment, you know, like I can't remember what it's like to have a social life. Do you know what? COVID, That's a great you know? point. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, as far they're sort of taking care of that issue anyway, but you know, we there's are still the old school. We still have the old school um, court sessions, and I think as far as I I remember through my career, there's always been a handful at least sort of you know anywhere from five to eight proper old boys that you know are your senior members and um, and sort of still run the cutter in that, and I and I think that's always how it's gonna be because. Um, I'm. I'm still learning now, so <laughs> I, I look at sort you know myself seven years ago. I'm like, man, I was pretty rookie then when I thought I would known it all, um, and and these little bits, uh, you know, sort of like the dark arts of the gamer, I can still help um, with the boys to develop. Mm. Uh,
0: now, just reading a bit about you before we came online, uh, I was, well, I was, I was just basically looking through your rugby history and prior to Worcester. It's fairly hard to get much about yourself. So what were you doing before you came over to the UK?
1: I was partying heaps, that's for <laughs> sure. Yeah. I was like, um rugby was never um a realistic goal for look, I always played rip rugby growing up, but in New Zealand that's what you do, you know. Like yeah. if if you got sort of you, you make your reps and I played Wellington in age grades and and then after school, first 15, I, I left school early and um, I went to Australia and I just had a great time. And I just, oh, uh, right. Um, yeah, I, I went to the Gold Coast, my best mate, and we just, I just labored for a year and we partied and uh, I got to surf, you know, most days and just loved it. It was just it was your first taste of freedom, right? You, yeah. You're sort of 17, 18, and you, you finally leave the nest and um, was just had a, an amazing time there. and. I think it was just the partying and stuff was running away a bit far, um, away from me and um, my mum at the time said look you need to come back and um, get a, a trade or you know go to uni or do something so I was like yeah fair enough um, so I planned to go home back to New Zealand and after a year of sort of having fun and um, I was going to get a trade and then head out to Europe and just travel and um, just do the OE buzz and before I sort of settled down later in life and I went home and went to the local club to to stay fit and just, just a bit of pre season training, didn't plan to play and we sort of I mean this is all amateur stuff and uh, but the prem the prim amateur is quite quite decent level, you know, you yeah. can get all blacks playing at any given week. Um, and they they said, Oh, do you want to play for the prims? So I said, Yeah, why not? My dad had grew up at this club and played for the prims and I thought that'd be pretty cool if I could say, you know, it'd be in the same hallway with the photos is my dad and um sort of just love my rugby that year just had a great year it's just a, a naive sort of probably had a chip on my shoulder kid you know and was just going running around like a, a madman trying to bang anything or um mm-hmm. you know carry as hard as I can straight and just I think the coaches enjoyed that just, <laughs> so yeah we, we we had a historical year with that club and You know that year we had uh, Corey Jane, um, Abby Matthewson. What? Uh, Yeah, we had a great club year, and we had these sort of. We uh, a guy called he used to be at um, he was at Leicester for a little while. Um, And he was at Nottingham. Um, Our hooker. Oh Duffy. Duffy, yeah, yeah. He was he was immense. Yeah. Is it? I want to say
0: it's not Joe Duffy, is it? Is it Joe Duffy?
1: Yes, yes, Joe Duffy. Yeah. Yep. yep And I mean, he's just hearty, mouldy as you can find. And but he's a great boy. Um, after he's had a chop, a few as well, he gets pretty wild. Nice. Nah, he, yeah, he, he was a legend, and he took looked after me as well. I was like the young buck, and um, we had a talented year that, uh, team that year, and it was a lot of guys who who were just trying to prove something as well. And we on the Swindale Shield, and ended up getting anyway. Short story. Um, shorting the story, I ended up getting picked up for the Hurricanes Academy. But again, I didn't really see that as a serious thing. Didn't think I was going to progress mm-hmm. anywhere. I was you know, I was still enjoying time. all my mates were like surfers and skaters and they're at uni and just having a great time. So probably overindulged in that and um I just enjoyed playing rugby. I was like, I'll just play rugby and then I'll, I'll finish my trade and I'll go to work, you know. Um but then I had a guy called Chris Sterling, um, knew I had a British passport, was doing some consultancy work with the Cornish Pirates. Ah. And, um, yeah, yeah, send me a whole bunch of Google images of the surf in Cornwall and say, like, look, you can come here, play rugby and surf. How's that sound to you? I was like, done. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, next explode out.
0: Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So, just okay, so I've got more, I've got a, a lot of questions now. So, just a, a, a few quick, quick fire ones then. Um, what position was your dad?
1: The second row, um. He said he'd cover the back row, but I highly doubt that he's too slow to be in the back row.
0: Excellent. Uh, and what yeah. trade were you going to pick up?
1: I got a trade in roofing. Um, okay. I was going to do building, but um, at the time my best mate was on the tools and he was doing roofing. He said, come work with me. I was like, sweet, okay. And Great. So I done the roofing.
0: You sound like a man that just says yes to suggestions. Like, do you want to come to, to the Gold Coast? Yeah, okay. you want to do roofing? Yeah, fine. I'll do that. Hurricane's Academy? Yeah, go on
1: then. <laughs> so, uh, it kind of was the- I wasn't there they used to be fear it was just like uh, just floating about so at what stage in
0: um in what stage in New Zealand rugby do you start pick, picking up some money i mean it, could you live in could you live on any money in the hurricanes academy or was it a case that hey i'm going to go away to um cornwall Corn- yeah uh, cornwall and i'll i'll do uh, i'll do some roofing and then hopefully i'll get a bit of money on the side playing rugby
1: Yeah, I remember – I don't know what it's like now. I don't, I've don't. i got no idea with the how they do payments these days. or, But I just know that at one stage, and I didn't get this, there was some boys in the academy, and you had to be on the real fringe of the Wellington sort of lines. It was like they called it the 5th Wellington, 15 or, or whatever. They were getting like 5,000 NZ a year at that time. And I uh, think they get, get topped top with bonuses if you play. I think the bonuses might be decent if you play. Um, I know Super. They have minimum wage in Super, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, like I've I've definitely been part of contracts where I'm starting over boys on, you know, hundred thousand more than me, and they can't get in the team, and you know that's brutal. Um, yeah. But in New Zealand, at least they've got a minimum wage, which which I think's um, good. Um, but I, I would. You know, I see some of the academy kids, what well, they're on over here, and I'm like, it certainly was far off that when I was getting into that. Yeah. You know, I might have looked at it differently if, if I seen that kind of money at that early stages.
0: Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the academy kids coming through now, they're not on big money by any means. I mean, they're really not. But if you give a 18-year-old 20 grand a year, they may as well be a millionaire.
1: Yeah. I think I'm think Like, my first contract wasn't far off that, you know, and I was wrapped with that. Yeah. I was like... And I was playing week in, week out, you know. um, They're definitely, you know, getting a pound of flesh out of me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the the academy boys now are going to be getting even more money than before. Because it's, well, at least it's my theory, that as the salary cap comes down, all the internationals will have to be paid more because they they need to stay in this country and also the RFU are going to top top up their their wages. So all of those middle-ranking players or internationals from other countries or... Um, you know, good like good good solid club players. They're gonna get squeezed, and I think the money is gonna to go to the academies to fill out the teams because the rest of the money's gonna to go to the internationals, is how I feel it'll probably go.
1: And that that's certainly getting a feel for that. We we definitely took a hit on some great players who who were far above the academy, but probably not classed as that sort of you know, premiership starting or potential international. And, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, they got their tag. And I, I think and some of them have proved people wrong. Yeah. Um, like Scott Steele's gone on. He's now started last week had a blinder against Italy. And, and you know, he, he unfortunately got let go from our club and he was loved at our club. Um, and that seems to be the trend, uh, which is really unfortunate because there's some quality people and quality players that have always been undervalued in their careers. Yeah,
0: I, I think there's going to be certain, certain players who are five percent off making massive money. But because they're five percent off, they'll always be on those sort of you know, mid like middling contracts or well, they they will disappear now. So like lower contracts. There's gonna be a lot of competition is what I'm trying to say. at the lower end of the market in in, in the premiership.
1: And it, and it's been it's it's kind of been that way a long time. But like you say that five percent you know that five percent in performance can be 200,000 difference yeah. on pay packets, you know? Um, and that's just a savage part of the game. Isn't and it? unfortunately, that's where they could come. And trust me, I've been on the bad side of that for many years, you know, um, coming through and, and, you know, really having to earn my spot. And, and a lot of people get these big contracts also just through timing. Yeah, Through timing and they, they might come off the back of like three or four games, all Of a sudden, they're, they're looking unbelievable. They get signed because the team's desperate, and these guys are just having to be available. Next thing you know, they're not what they were worth, you know, and this they locked in the two or three year contracts. And there's another savage side of if, if you're the guy in the middle there who's been working their ass off, oh, and, of course, and, yeah, because you I'm... know, like it's just part of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I always, I, I always wonder, and listeners will be sick of me saying this. I just always wonder why props don't learn to play hooker, or but both learn to play both both sides of scrum. Purely for that reason, like you say, timing is everything. It might just be that that timing when they're desperate, where you can leverage that extra, you know, uh, ten, ten or twenty k on um, onto a contract.
1: You've definitely got. Um... Some weight to that sort of thought, but yeah, it's kind of you're either average at two positions and you get an average wage, or you're a specialist and you're the man at one, and you're going to get that pay packet for that position. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of you know that's that's where I'll see that for sure. I know a lot of guys get stuck in that. Which position are you? And then that kind of ends up being a negative effect on them. Um, you get that in the back row as well. Sometimes you know your or, or the old second row six. They don't know which one you are. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they can sort of you can know, have a struggle in, in, in that department.
0: Now uh, I don't. I'm trying to work out how to ask this question or say this thing without uh, inadvertently causing offence. I guess. But um, I guess a sign a sign of how how good you are as a rugby player is the fact that you start at seven regularly. But seven is probably hang on. Now no, this is the bit which is difficult to say. Seven is probably the easiest place to play, uh, which makes it the hardest place to play because so many so there's so much competition for seven shirts. If that makes any sense, you don't have to be unnaturally wide or yeah, strong yeah. or tall or fast, but you have to be really really good.
1: Yeah, um, I, to be fair, I was an eight. I signed as an eight over here. I came over. Yeah. It was a lot bigger, a lot lot bigger. So I played eight. Um but I always sort of had that natural um wanted to be in everything part of my game. Yeah. I didn't have enough patience to wait for my opportunities to carry or make tackles or turnovers. It was too too was quite often just chasing work. And it was Glenn Delaney that bring me in and said, Look, you're a seven. We wanna we wanna basically train you as a seven and uh, so when I signed with Irish, I was, before that I was an eight and then I signed here as a seven. Um but yeah, I think back in the sevens sevens this position that's just evolved. It's gone from back back in my day you flew into a lot, but you you'd have your um, so you sweep a seven roll. Yeah. You'd, you'd go behind the D line and used to sweep in and steal the ball and that was your sort of your sole part of your job was the jackal and um then it de- developed into, you know, you had more you're part of the breakout plays with the backs. And now you look at the sevens and and they're, they're six, sevens. You know they're big boys and they're, they're buckling people like Curry and Underhills and, uh, <laughs> and big I mean, on me. you know, like you, that that that's where that position is now. It's uh, the Frenchies and the South Africans have been doing it for years, having left and right rather than six seven. And mm. I think that's where the rest of the world, other than your specialists like Hooper, um, Arty, well, no, even Arty plays across the back row. Yeah, he does. Uh, you know, other than a few exceptions of the guys that are sort of that smaller mold, um, it certainly seems to be what Eddie Jones is looking for is your taller, sort of more powerful sevens that sort of fit the six mold. So, again, it's just that seven's always been that sort of evolving position and, and it seems to continue that as well. But yep. in, certain, in answering your question, um, <laughs> I think in the Prem and in, in, in top flight, you're always working your ass off to save your position. you got to perform week in, week out and bring a point of difference to, to hold that jersey, especially in seven.
0: Yeah, just on the seven thing, I think you made really some really interesting points there because these are these are some things which I've been thinking about. You are right that we play sevens, you know, like the traditional UK seven bolts onto the side of a scrum. But but why? I guess it's because we've always done that. But then you look at Exeter. And the Exeter have done this thing when they've got two enormous men, like a Dave Ewers or a... Um, I think his name, though, the other enormous uh, Zimbabwean that they have.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn
1: users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Whose name escapes me now? Uh, uh, Don Armand. There there you go. And then it seems that, that, you know, that makes more sense for them scrummaging going forward. So they stick a traditional seven in an eight. And I quite like that. I quite like that approach of setting up your scrum and how to utilize seven skills but in a different way.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's been, it's horses for courses as well. What mm. style your team plays and what you want from your players, um, where you attack the game the most. And, and that that's that's going to be where you bring in your, if, you, if you're just going to be big ball carriers and you want to win a physical battle and you're not going to shift the ball that much, um or you're not too worried about Jackalers at the breakdown, then you can have those big bulky players that are just going to, you know, bring that extra physicality. Um, yeah. but then they run sort of Sam, uh, sorry, Joe, Sam Simmons. Eight, and I, I really see him in, in the sort of Artie Salve kind of mold. Yeah. He can just do, do everything. And the only thing he lacks in is, is probably, although he did jump in the line out a lot against us, but that's probably where he's, Probably regarded as weakness would be the line out option mm. from a Nate's perspective. Um, but I look at the game a lot differently since I've now since I've sort of dived into the more the c side of things and, and just see what proper athletes are and what real power is because sometimes, um, size can be smoke and mirrors, you know. Yeah, I think Sam, Sam Simmons certainly, you know, brings that to light.
0: Oh, the he power of the a, boys! I mean, like his, oh. his acceleration. I, I was lucky enough to watch him in the AJ Bell the other week, and he just goes around the blind side of a mall, uh, which is set up from a line-out. He's lightning, absolutely lightning.
1: And I mean, look at Darcy Graham. He's probably what I think it might be ninety kgs wet, um, but <laughs> yeah. what he does, you know, what he does with his power and that, he can catch boys off, and he can he can hit boys in the tackle and. Um, they're the they the ones you got to watch out for.
0: Yeah, and so yeah. just fill in the blanks for me here. Then you were at um, Cornish Pirates. I take it you had a few seasons there. And th- was that then that was that then straight to Worcester? Did you did you encounter Worcester when they were in the Premiership? Uh, sorry, in the Championship, or did you go from the Championship up to the Premiership with uh, with Worcester?
1: He, they were in the Championship. Yeah, uh, when I was there, uh, so was London Welsh. So it was Newcastle. Were what
0: Uh, what, really? Were they all?
1: Yeah, I was there for three years. Um, So it was London. London Welsh was definitely there. Yeah, Worcester was definitely there, and uh, seasons. But it was across three years. I I went halfway through a season. I left halfway through a season. Okay. Um, So it was Newcastle, London Welsh, and maybe Worcester. Um maybe twice. I can't remember. Um was it even Bristol? But yeah. Yeah. It was Bristol. Yeah, it was. Yeah. My very first half season was actually Exeter. They went up that year.
0: Ah, really? So who
1: was so, who, Yeah.
0: who was your coach there? It wasn't Richard Hill.
1: When I went to Worcester yeah. it was. Yeah. Um yeah, when I went to Worcester it was Richard Hill. Um uh who else was there at the time? Oh, Phil Lardy used to do our defence.
0: Oh, really? That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, his meetings were pretty intense. He'd come in on, on, he'd do like two days a week. But it was it was definitely like one of those old-school approaches, like I was saying, the fear factor. Yeah. I made sure they had their notebooks, everyone would be uh, writing things. <laughs> and, and we'd have the the old-school gauntlet to, to make sure that, you know, the shoulders were sharpened and... um. But yeah, I was at I was at Pirates. I loved it there, and um, I got offered um, contracts to other Premiership clubs prior to that because I was I was playing well, at Cornish Pirates at the time. But I just we were we were looking to develop that sort sort of exit vibe, um and we'd been promised uh, the stadium was going to get built, and that fell through twice. Mm. Um, so it was it was sort of like into that stage. Like, look, I, I want to stay, but I've got to take the next opportunity. And they had an injury crisis halfway through the year. Um and yeah, I just I went up and joined them um halfway through the season, started every game and it was great. And then the following season I'm I i could not buy a start, you know. Really?
0: So you were talking yeah. about old school coaches before. Uh I don't know how true this is, but hopefully you will tell me. Uh Richard Hill is meant to be an incredibly old school coach.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting for sure. Uh <laughs> That's sort of as diplomatic as I can think. But, um, it, it was definitely old school. Um, we, we, I remember getting to, you know, you come from the championship and you, you come from sort of like amateur rugby and you turn up to Worcester, amazing facilities, and, you know, um, they've got all the SNC gear, you do all your testing, you know, you got your piss pots and, um, they do it in one and it's like, this is some flash stuff. And then you go out to their training paddock and puts you in a, in a line. And he tells the boys, Right, boys, I want you to go around the perimeter of the, the rig, uh, <laughs> of the, the field. First man at the, at the front of the line, over your head. Next man, under, over, till it gets to the back. Wow. That guy runs around the front. You do it, and oh, time. Andy Goode at the time, he's in hysterics going, What is this? And Almond uh, Stitch is going, Oh man, I thought I came like you know. I thought I'd uh, cracked it and come to a prem club. Yeah, we're doing over under and, and we're just pissing ourselves. Eh? Like,
0: That's phenomenal. So there's there's quite a good story out of uh, Leicester when they got rid of Dean Richards. They they replaced him with. do you Remember Marcelo? I want to say Marcelo Lafreda. If I've got that guy wrong, I I, I apologize to whoever Marcelo Lafreda is. But he was the coach that got Argentina to the uh, World Cup semi. You remember him back in the day?
1: Uh maybe
0: so they replaced Dean Richards with Marcelo mo you know and Leicester Leicester being Leicester winning everything in sight except for that you know a few seasons and apparently just came there and started making the making the boys run Canterbury squares over and over again and thought, Man, this this can't be a real thing
1: the old four corners yeah. trailer. <laughs> Just taking it back to humble beginnings is it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right yeah but uh, yeah I mean it seems that things picked up for you quite nicely then because if you're having um Glenn Delaney as a coach late um later on as a player you you're doing okay
1: yeah um I, I you know I'd probably put my big breakdown to Glenn Delaney um, he was coaching Nottingham while I was at the Pirates and Two of my best games, actually, were, were against Nottingham while I was at Pirates. And, um, and I was really struggling to find a contract. I, I was out of contract. Worcester didn't want me. Um, you know, like a flick of a switch, I, I wasn't what uh, Richard Hill was looking for. And, you know, that's fine. That's what, that's what happens. Mm. Um, <clears throat> thought I had locked in something with Cardiff Blues. That fell through. Uh... Um, you know, we were all but signing the main contract. And they said, oh, no, because I wasn't a big enough name to take up a, a foreign spot, mm-hmm. not being Welsh and all. And then, yeah, Glenn Laney said, do you want to come meet for a sit-down with himself and uh, Brian Smith? Yeah. And, yeah, I signed a, a three-year deal and wow. helped to prove at that stage. Yeah. It wasn't, a, it wasn't like me. It wasn't good money by any means, but it was security at that time, you know? Um, yeah. I had nothing. And so... Yeah, within my first year I got capped as well and we managed to extend the following year to a proper contract for, for another three years, which, which I was happy with. So, but, um,
0: so you're an eight yeah. at the moment, right? Okay, so I find this, this is the boring stuff that I find incredibly, incredibly interesting, right? You're an eight and Glenn Delaney's seen you as a potential seven. That's broadly speaking what it was. You weren't play, Were you playing seven at Worcester or?
1: No, I think I might have played six. Um... Once or twice. we had like Matt Kavisic and we're Jack Abbott. Okay. We're like proper, you know, your proper sort of mould of a seven. Mm-hmm. So there's no real need for me to, to play seven. Oh, and Sam Betty would cover yeah. um, seven as well.
0: So this is my biggest bug bone in, in rugby, which are coaches offering players to your contracts. Because, like, take your example, okay? Um, someone's seen something in you and they think, okay, brilliant. If we get this guy on not big money but we can get him in and uh he can only take a two-year co- contract we uh, we win but actually they lose because if they're right and you're any good and you're on small money by year two you're going to want a you know a massive pay rise so actually the balls in your court you've got all the power what they did by saying yeah sign a three-year right now and when we're ready we'll give you the pay rise much much smarter i don't understand why anyone offers these two-year deals they're an absolute nightmare
1: I think that, you know, three-year deals also come with injury and, but, you know, if you, if you, in your first year, you got a massive injury and then you don't come back from that. Yeah, that's fair. You know, you're running the risk of that and um, it's the harsh reality of our game is no one's, you know, susceptible to to an injury Mm. um, and and certainly not a serious one, but yeah, I agree, and and I, it, it seems to be the way forward these days. Yeah, because because like we were speaking earlier about um, creating a longevity with your squad and in your environment, you need the core of your team for the future mm. locked in for a long period, and and I think people are starting to understand that. And I'm seeing oh, what was it um, Hamish Watson just signed a um crazy years. I think has he really? I, did, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, like I think I, I could be really up wrong here, but I know it was five years at least. Wow! Yeah, yeah. So they like these guys are locking in their futures, you know. Like um, I know Jamie Ritchie did the same thing as well. Mm. Um, but we're, we're we're signing boys on three years for, for sure, especially the youngsters. And um, and uh, and I think that for the future, I think that's the way you you get your squad for a long period and you can plan around that as well I
0: completely agree and if and if they're worth more and you think they're worth more offer them a slight pay rise and but extend their contract so you know it's you know it's just one of those things which uh, which bugs me when I hear about the two-year contract and coaches saying go back yourself because they underpay they overpay in the first year sorry they underpay in the first year and overpay in the second year so anyway any, anyway that's uh, just just a thought thought I thought had on that now with Cardiff Blues you said that um, because you weren't Welsh you couldn't sign there. Did you know that you were Scottish at this point?
1: I ran a Scottish passport. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. so I, I got my Scottish passport, and that's, that's, I used to always, my mum's like full blown Scots, like, um, with you. She was born and raised there. Yeah. And, um, so it was never like, It was always this pipe dream, especially still, still until like up until I signed with Irish, you know.
0: Uh So, um, do you how? So, two questions there. When you were looking for a contract, did you did you contact the Scottish clubs because that would be obviously the you know the first portal call for for myself in that situation. But the second question is, when did you receive a call from Scotland that they were interested, letting you know?
1: Oh. You've you got your agents, and, and they do all that kind of hunting out, and they certainly would have dropped that into mm. the club saying Like, but like I, I really was a no name at this period. You know, I probably just looked like some sort of random battler picking up what he could. You know, on on small cash and and being like third string at the prem club. You know, um, <clears throat> but again, there was Glenn Delaney um, and Brian Smith who. They obviously seen something in me and and had faith and and true potential and thought I could go in Scotland. But we we had a guy come through London Irish at the time. um, His name was Kieran Lowe and he was a talented athlete and he was a talented rugby player and he was still really young. And um, he was Scottish qualified and you know he was more what Scotland were interested in was a young prop. He was a big boy and he was fast and he was powerful and. Um, they said, uh, look, you know, this kid, if you snap him up now, you know, you might you might get him before England. So, um, it was at the time, uh, Scott Johnson come down and um, have a sit down with, because Scott Johnson knew Brian Smith, and obviously yeah. Scott Johnson was running the cutter up at Scotland. And um, Smith, he told him about him, so he's, he's come down from Scotland. Um, him and John, him and... Um, at the time and Brian Smith goes oh we've actually got another guy here he's Scottish qualified he, he might want to you know we think he's got the goods and I just I'd injured myself that preseason, season and um, I was you know the A-League There was I was like having my first game run out and um, getting back to match fitness was in A-League and it was the night they came down on the Monday and I was playing Monday night so they watched me out there and I was so like I was so determined to prove myself in that game Incredible. For London Irish I had no idea that the Scotland coaches were watching um, and I was went berserk that game loved it it was pretty good because you know I was I think I put up a midfield ball I think I was doing all sorts of random stuff but <laughs> just trying to, on top of that I was just flying around trying to hit anything but um, they sort of enjoyed my energy and they said oh look you know, we, we can't promise you anything but we'll keep an eye out on you and they sort of got the ball rolling
0: That's amazing and there's a sort of moral to that story which is you never know who is watching
1: you never know. And I'll always say this rugby is a small community. Um, mm. So one, like, you know, at any time you can, someone can be watching you or take interest that you have no idea about. And two, don't burn bridges. Yes. It's one of my biggest lessons it was like, just don't burn bridges. Do you know
0: what? I should learn that lesson. I think that I'd be very valuable if I actually took heed of those words.
1: <laughs> I, I just look at some of my, the things that happened over my career. Had I Approached him differently, I might not have got the opportunities like three, four years down the line. Yeah, because I made, I made good relationship with Glenn Delaney early doors in the championship, and we always spoke and we got on well. And you know, in the end, that was that was the way I got into achieving the things that I did.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, um, I absolutely love Glenn because he wrote the line outs for my local club, so uh, you know, I, you, you you'll never hear a bad word about um, about Glen Delaney here. That that is for sure.
1: He's a legend, and and everywhere he goes, he he definitely you get the same feedback from anyone that's been involved with Glenn. You know they love him to bits, and he's so good at man management.
0: Mm. Uh, What do you put your your longevity down to as as a player, Blair?
1: I think you know, touch wood. I've been really lucky with my body. Don't don't get me wrong; it's it's had its. tough times and, and fair share of injuries mm. but managed to avoid you know continuous long long-term injuries but oh, I, I can't explain it it's I, I'm still hungry and still so excited whenever I touch the rugby field whether it's whether it's training or, or playing um, I have my tired moments at training body definitely feels a bit more fatigued but majority of the time I'm excited to be out there and I'm, I'm I still have that um, hunger and exciting than you did as a yeah. kid when you when you take the field. Um I'm a bit smarter with it and I'm I can control it better and um but I think it that's been my main drive. I mm. just still love what I do and I still genuinely want to go play rugby and have that love to play. Um I think a lot of people when that fades out, they just that's when they call it and I certainly feel that way with me if that sort of fades out and I don't have those feelings and I'm not emotionally attached. You know, I, I won't
0: perform. Do you think that's got anything to do with the fact that you weren't an academy guy? You weren't wearing the, you know, England or, sorry, in your case, New Zealand under twenty shirt. It wasn't because I do feel now that young lads coming through the club system, although they're very lucky to have all the support and infrastructure which is put around them. It is overbearing and I think they can get jaded by rugby. And you think about, you know, where you've come from and also your relegations too. When you find yourself back in the Premiership surrounded by people like Sean O'Brien and whoever else it may be, I guess that would still be quite exciting.
1: It's, it's certainly... to while I'm, ...while I'm still here because I do appreciate what I've got. Um, potentially a hell of a lot more than the boys that were gifted at a young age and stuff. I've, I've had to earn... Uh, uh, and like uh, This isn't a sob story because I... I probably created the hard work that I had to do to get here, um, probably by being a bit sloppy when I was younger. But mm. once I realised what I wanted, I had to work hard to get back those years that I probably, you know, either partied away or um, didn't do my, you know, due diligence through my early academy years. I, I had to work hard to catch up to those, and now I appreciate a lot more. And um, and, and and look, I had. I worked hard as a roofer, tradesman, pipe layer, and I didn't. I look at what I'm doing now. I'm, I love this t- like a thousand times more than I love loved any other job <laughs> yeah. I ever had. And you know, the longer I can hold on to it, the better. So that that probably certainly plays into it as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I think this sort of does play into the way that you well your style as a your style as a player too, because I notice that you do all the back row stuff, but on occasions, and I've wanted to ask you this for quite a long time. Do you feel that sometimes you take on too much responsibility on on on, on the rugby field? And I'll give you an example. I was watching you the other week, and you were—I think—you you guys won, but what struck me is how often you had an intervention in the game, uh, from just being uh, back row stuff to you know being the nine to whatever it may be.
1: It definitely, there's definitely like. Um... Over my years, uh, coaches have been like, you know, you just got to breathe out there sometimes. Like, you know, you got to take a few actions off and, and be more effective And you know, and the ones you are involved in. But it's just, just who I am. It's just how I play. It's just how I see the game. Mm. Um, you know, I can't, if I don't play like that, it's just not me. And I wish I, sometimes I wish I didn't, Maybe wasn't so energetic or, or so, you know, so absorbed in the game. But it's, it's just who I am and it's just how I play the game. And, and it's who I've always been. So it's, it's really hard to explain. And, I, and I've definitely had those conversations with coaches and I've got better at it. But on the other hand, I think that's just always where I will
0: be. Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum because, I mean, quite a lot of coaches are very formulaic. And the reason they're formulaic is because they need to add value to the team. And how do you prove you're adding value to the team? Well, look, here's a coaching system which I came up with. And player X does, you know, roles A, uh, a B and C. And then you get a, get a player who's, very, who's incredibly enthusiastic. And actually, when you go over your workload, it often creates, creates problems. Well, not problems, but it's just not what they had in mind.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd also say, like, a lot of it looks like I'm doing, but I do see the game. Mm. And, if I, like, it's not me just going there for the sake of going there because I can be. I will see, and, and sometimes I can see, I'll see ahead of the game. And, and like you say, it can have a knock-on effect if someone sees me filling the role that they probably should have done. that might then throw things out of whack in, in your structure or whatever and understand that sometimes i got to be better at that. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where I've probably been lucky uh, I, I feel I do have a natural instinct for the game and I can see things and that's how I get to certain spots as well
0: well I wouldn't yeah it's not It's not one of those things which, you know it's not like I just think it must be uh, tricky for coaches because like, if you look at Justin Tipperick I'm not entirely sure how you build a system to put him inside of it because you don't know how he's going to see the game if that makes sense
1: I, yeah, he's just a clever footballer as well. Yeah. You know, you just as a coach, you you give the you always give them a blueprint, your, your team a blueprint. But at the end of the day, you've got to play what's in front of you. And a lot of the times, you'll have if you find yourself out of that blueprint or that um, or your game plan. There's always ways that you can like. Okay, I'm, I've gone a bit far here. I'm not on my channel. I'm not in my pod. You work, you're clever enough to work yourself back into that because that's just rugby and, and comes with experience. And certainly with um, Tipperick, he knows where his moments are. I think there's probably a lot more um, sort of calculated moves by him and by and the coaches than where he looks. But yeah, he's just, and that's because he's just a great footballer and, and can break through tackles and, and be in good spots. Mm
0: excellent well um, before we wrap it up then just give me your thoughts on this London Irish team which you find yourself in now I mean I can't work you guys out sometimes you're knocking on the door for top four other times not quite so much whereabouts are you and what and What do you think needs to occur for you to make top four do, do you think you can make top four th- this year
1: oh, I mean, pff, going off our top performances yeah we could but consistency is key and and everything in life, but it certainly is in professional sport, if, um, as an individual um, point and, and as, as a squad point. And we we are taking steps, and, and it can sometimes be a case two steps forward, one step back. But at least we're still going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and like for us, that it's it's sometimes we don't take our learnings quick enough or we don't, you know, um, or we'll take learning from one week. Um, we go next week. We, we fix, we fix that learning, but the learning that we took from two weeks ago, we've forgotten, and then that has a knock on effect for that performance. Um, so there's a lot of maturity that still has to be developed in our, um, in our game and, but everyone's so hungry. Solve us and to get to a point where we, we are consistent in our performances um, it's just going to take a little bit more time um, and, and we've got the, the, the player pool now and, and we've we, we, unfortunately we've got a few injuries as well in, in key spots that has an effect on our performances as well so once we're fully fit and, and our squad's fully match fit I think you'll see more consistency on the back of that and we'll also mature a lot quicker when when that experience is around the younger boys as well
0: yeah it's so interesting to say that because you know particularly with london irish squad squad profile having so many experienced guys even though they're individually experienced it's getting that cohesion as a team i guess which is the real difficult part
1: um and and like um you know Sean, had 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 a run where he's been in and out and um, Ed's Coleman, he, he's been he's now out um, with some injuries, and um, you know, it's one thing these guys being able to talk to players, but it's it's a different killer fish when they're actually on the field there with them and creating those relationships and, and actually showing them, um, showing boys, you know, that they're very good at speaking at meetings and whatnot, but it's so much more powerful when they're out there and they're doing it with them. Um, so when we have that, you know, again that'll be a great step in, in the right direction. We it's it's really hard for us to to talk about top four, you know. Um we haven't earned that right to talk about that. We we're performance based at the moment, talking one game at a time. I think there's maybe two teams that can set those goals, um, which is Exeter, who deserve to set those goals mm. up after years I've been there and I think Bristol have developed for sure, um, the right to to talk about top four. Um I think Quinns is hitting it way. Um, mm. But it's such a, you
0: know. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that. I think one team is. I think Exeter have the right to say, yeah, we're top four. Everyone else, as far as I'm concerned, needs to, need to prove it. I can't remember the last time Quinns, I mean, Quinns are great. I'm, I'm really excited by, by Quinns. Yeah. I think Sale are very powerful. Well, you found out that Sale are very powerful last weekend, I guess. Or was it the weekend, weekend before last?
1: I'm kind of meaning that more yeah. on their points. Like, yeah, like but like, the if, not- st- if, if you talk at the start of the season, send your goals out. Uh, ah, yeah. yeah. They're the only people that, you know, they're the only pro- If Right now, if you're to talk realistically, you know, Bristol can talk about being in the top four because yeah, they've got fair. the points, you know. And it'd take a lot for them not to be in the top four um, from now to the end of the season. I've seen crazier things happen, but I very much doubt that they're not going to be there. And Quinns are now starting to be pretty solid in the top four so maybe they could start in those conversations as well on current current points and current form but for sure you go to the start of the season there's there's one team that can set that goal and they've earned that and that's excellent yeah
0: well I I tell you what it's Quinns Bristol this this weekend so I'll be fascinated to see see, to see how that goes because Quinns have well I think the benefit
1: haven't they
0: Uh, Friday? it's Saturday Quinns Bristol yeah
1: so it will be a good watch I'll record that one
0: yeah, because they, because um, obviously Quinns have had a very settled team, haven't they? They've not lost anyone really to internationals, mm. and Bristol can seem to put any fifteen guys in, in in those jerseys, and they look great. So I don't know what's going to happen, but very, very much looking forward to that one because I'm a bit of a Nor's so.
1: I think Quinns is definitely like I say about that whole restructuring of the um, the coaching situation and bringing that you know having that shelf life of everyone yeah. reacts well to it. You know, so it seemed to to work when um, when there's sort of a change in the guard. As far as the coaches, they seem to be playing different for sure.
0: I'd, I'd, you know, one just strikes me as a complete culture clash. It just strikes me as a guy mm. has come in there. who was a very good coach in his own rights, but the situation, the time, and the place just didn't suit the skills that he had. And you know, it's not you know, it's not really a indictment on him. He'll he'll move on and be successful elsewhere. But you know, Quins are better for. Him not being there, which is a weird thing. Weird thing to say. So, uh, addition by subtraction.
1: Yeah, for sure. Because I, look, I haven't um, worked with him, but mm. I've met him and come across him. He seems like a top guy, and whenever I spoke rugby with him, it, he certainly seems to know what he's on about. But like you say, yeah, culture clash. Like, and it can be as simple as that. Um, you can have a coach with all the skills in the world, but it just wouldn't work with the with certain people, and you put them in a completely different environment that's. You know, more catered to them, and they'll take them to the top four potentially win premierships. You know,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, Blair, thank you so much. Uh, I've kept you for longer than I said s- said that I would. We're, we're just over an hour now. All right. um, before you go, give me a prediction for where you think London Irish will finish this, um, finish this year. And are you on social media? C- can we find you, or are you wise enough to stay away from it?
1: Um, I'm not the the most interactive on it, but I have um I have my sort of photography page on um Instagram. It's uh BC underscore edits underscore UK. Oh awesome. Where you can find, yeah, where you can find me on um Twitter.
0: So, Brilliant.
1: Well, yeah I'm, I'm probably pretty boring for most viewers and and I don't do I'm not too indirect on it. Quite uh, a lot of uh, cheesy baby photos on there
0: these days well i don't know about that uh photographer surfer seven international rugby player uh blair cowan so thank you very very much and hopefully we'll speak again soon small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because Rustolium's new custom spray five and one gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom spray five and one only from Rustolium.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
0: Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands.